Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston and Wayne Shepard talk about how to raise an independent child. Let's hear what they have to say. You know, I think that's one of the goals as a parent that we have got to keep out there in front of us and focus on that we want to move our kids to become independent. And that means that they're not always dependent on us so they can leave and cleave, so they can Mm -hmm. move on to the next stage of life, that I'm preparing them for the world that they're going to be living in where they don't always have to be tied back to us, you know, independent. Now, I want that relationship to remain. Sure, always. But I want them to be able to operate independently. Uh-huh. You know, I, and, and I think it's things like this, way. When you start to hear comments like, I can do this on my own. I don't need any help on this. I don't believe that's the way you should do it, Mom. I don't agree with you. I can handle it myself. Quit telling me what to do. I think you're wrong, Dad. Mom, quit. You've told me that a thousand times. I want to be alone. Okay, Dad. Mom, stop. I wonder what it would be to live on my own. When you start hearing they comments They are on the road like that, to independence, right Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it ought to be one of those times that you say to yourself, aha, it's working. Those are signs of independence that you want to happen. Now, most parents try to shoot most of those comments down and say, no, 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 no. This is how it's done. But I'm going, mom and dad, when you have a child that begins to say those things 15 years on up, it's a good sign. It means you're doing a great job. Mark, that list of independent statements you made just a moment (laughs) ago, don't parents consider that to be kind of almost rebellious instead of independent? You know, sometimes they do. And a child's going to say it in a rebellious way in one sense. But sometimes kids have to become rebellious to become independent. I mean, that's not all bad. Not every rebellion that's been held in the U.S. or North America has been a bad thing. <laughs> right. Some good comes out of it. And so my encouragement to parents is look at what is really going on. Perhaps as, as a parent, I am holding on too tight. Perhaps I'm not allowing them the independence that they need. You know, most kids are resilient enough. They'll, they'll jump up to the next level and they'll assume responsibility for life if we give them the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But so many kids become rebellious when they're not given the opportunity, and now they feel like they have to fight for it. And I don't think those comments are fighting words. I I think it's more of an expression of a child that's saying, I think I can do this on my own. And you especially want to hear this from your young men, Mm -hmm. more so than your daughters. Those are clues we need to pick up on. That's right. Well, I know we've got a lot of ground to cover here today, but we also encourage questions from our parents who listen to the program. Here's a question from a parent. We know that we must guide, protect, and discipline our kids in order to teach them, but we've heard you talk about extending the rope and that we aren't giving kids freedom soon enough. How do we know what time or what stage to do what? That You know, that's a great question, and my encouragement to parents would be this. What do you want to accomplish this year with your child? How have do you want a, to move plan. them? Yeah. Have a, come up with a plan. What do you want to do from a standpoint of moving them from being so dependent on you to moving them toward independence? What do you want to see happen in their life and say, okay, I want to give them some things by the end of this year? Okay, whatever that is, I would tell you this. 
Give it to them sooner than you think. Hmm. If you're sitting there saying, you know what, I don't think kids ought to have a cell phone until age 15, then my encouragement would be, then give it to them at 14 and a half. <laughs> One, that, you know, when you make that statement, you do, you'll get it when you're 15. They're holding on to that, and you give it to them six months earlier. They're going to look at you differently. They're going to go, well, thank you, rather than being so entitled. But the other side of it is this. Now they don't have to fight for it. Now, it's not just a cell phone. I mean, I don't want to get in that yeah, discussion. That's just an example. You know, sure. if, if this was aired 10 years ago, somebody would say, you're crazy. What, you know, giving a kid a phone, are you serious? It's an indispensable you know, item now. And probably 10 yeah. years from now, babies will have them. I mean, I, I know we're somewhere in between be that. implants. That's right. But I think the point of it is, is that we have a tendency as parents to hold on to things too long. I mean, I don't ever really feel like a child is capable of driving a car at age 16. But you know what? The state says yep. so. Steps and if, in that direction. And if they do, then I go. And what we found is kids do a good job. They step up and they accomplish and assume the responsibility that's given to them. So, so I'm say, parents, you can't always go off what you feel on these things. You almost have to look and say, okay, where do I want to go? What can I give to them early so it changes their perspective of me? But it also keeps them from having to fight for something in the future. All right. How else can we help uh, promote this independence among our teens? You know, I think giving your teen, uh, you know, some room to decide uh, some things with on their own. Give them the opportunity to make choices, which means this. Mom and dad, quit making all the choices for them. Instead of saying, you need to be up by 630 so you can catch the bus, so and so, it may be asking them the question, hey, what time do you think you need to be up tomorrow? Hmm. And if they go, well, I think I could get up at 7 and be out the door at 715, just go, okay. So it's very often the simple things. That's right. Let them do it. And, and, and then what they'll learn is, you know, after they sleep in or they don't have enough time or they're flustered in the morning and they're taking it out on you, they may go, you know what, I may need to get up at 630. But don't tell them that. If you come back and tell them that, then now they're not becoming independent. Now they're having to listen to you. Let them figure some of these things out on their own. I think we as parents make too many decisions for them, and we don't let them think long enough to come to a good, healthy conclusion. And it does this. I think what happens is, is that we don't trust what we've already taught them. And God has promised us that everything that we have poured into their life will come to fruition one day. But sometimes I think we're so busy tilling the ground all the time and taking those seeds and always turning them over and over and over that, that they never have time to root and to actually spring up and bring something out so we can see evidence of all that work that we've had. I like that example, but it's true also in more subjective ways. It helps them think when we don't just offer and force our opinion on them, right? That's right. You know, I think so. I, I think at some point we quit sharing our opinion all the time because most parents have done a great job of that early on. And your sons will tell you you've done too good of a job doing that. I mean, Scripture says that a fool delights in airing his opinion. And so if that's true, a child may be looking at us as being more foolish than wise when we're always sharing our opinion. And so I just say, just back up a little bit. Trust that God's 
at work in the life of my child and trust that those seeds that I've sown will come to fruition. I think giving your teen room to decide on their own within some boundaries are good. Major on the majors and avoid hovering over your child. You're teaching them to think for themselves and mm-hmm. solve their own problems. Don't force your opinions and, and, and still have those age-appropriate morals and boundaries around them to protect them, but within those circles, allow them to make decisions. I'm glad you mentioned that. In your books, you tell us to focus on building character more than demanding obedience. Can you explain that? You know, I, I think it's changing the focus of rules from protection, which we have early on with kids to more character building, like keeping commitments and living honestly and being respectful, learning to be obedient in a great way. I think those are ways that we help a child, you know, value character and integrity a lot more than just getting out of bed in the morning and following all the rules. Mm -hmm. You know, the measurement of somebody that is good is not just following the rules. It's the presence of of taking initiative and thinking well among stress and difficult times. That's the measurement of effective training of a child. So major on the majors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you begin to do that, it helps your child, you know, move to a point where they can start thinking more independently. We want that. That. And and moms, this is where scripture says, you know, you know that scripture that's quoted at every wedding that a man shall leave his mother. You know, <laughs> wonder why that's in the Bible. I know, moms, we've got to stop, quit hovering over your kids all the time, and allow them to leave. It will help your relationship, and I guarantee it. It'll build your relationship when they even get married that they'll come back to you. But it shows the type of relationship that moms have with their son, and moms have this tendency to to want to be so involved in the life of their son that they keep doing things for them. You're not helping the process. You need, to, you need to wean yourself a little bit so that they value you more. You love your teen, but lately, you don't recognize them. Your daughter starts talking, acting, and dressing like a total stranger. Your son loses all interest in engaging. You tiptoe around them, trying to get through, but unable to overcome the sudden distance between you. What happened? You're not alone. Situations like this are normal, even in the most wonderful families. Mark Gregston has walked with thousands of families going through difficult times with their teens, and even experienced it firsthand. He's helped them navigate their teens' most difficult years, and he can help you too. In his book, What's Happening to My Teen, Mark shares stories of change, hope, and compassion that will give you insight and wisdom into what's happening in your home and in the heart of your team. It's not a magic spell to fix everything, but it can give you encouragement and practical advice for the road ahead. You can order What's Happening to My Team by visiting parentingteenresources.org. I do want to come back to this matter, though, of listening twice as much as you speak to your teens. <laughs> that's hard, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. He <laughs> wants us why? to listen twice as much as we speak. You know, but there's something about that in the training of a child and moving them toward independence, that we spend more time listening than we do talking. I mean, there is a time that we've got to slow it down. I think that's why, you know, the nature of men and women uh, starts to come out and, and, and becomes a plus with, uh, with your kids a little bit later on. 
moms have a tendency to to talk more than dads. Yeah. I mean, I think every one of us would agree a with generality, that. but true. That's right. You know, and and nothing wrong with that. No. That's just how how people are made. But I think what begins to happen because dad has been so silent, he's now appearing to be the wiser one. Because as Scripture says, even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. He appears to be the wiser one, and so kids are moving toward dad, forcing him out of that quietness somewhat. It's a perfect opportunity. And, I, and my encouragement to dads is, is remain in that spot. Moms, back up a little bit and, and realize that you may be hampering your child from growing. And I always ask a, a child a question. When they start to share something, I ask them a question because they may just be thinking out loud. I say this, are you asking me a question or are you telling me your opinion? Ah, and if one. they say, all I'm doing is telling you my opinion, I go, well, cool, thanks. You don't need to answer that. I don't need to answer it. Yeah. But if they're asking me a question, then I'm going to go, okay, do you want the easy answer or the hard answer? Um, and then they give permission for me to talk. I'm, I don't share my opinion with kids until they ask. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for the ask, though. Another step towards helping our teens to independence, you say, is to teach them how to weigh the options. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it create in their mind the opportunity to think through. I mean, now remember what we're doing uh, in raising our kids. We're spending all these years through them involved in Awana and royal ambassadors and everything at a church and, and, and vacation Bible school and Sunday school classes and Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, mission projects. Everything we do for kids is pouring stuff into their life. And they love it. They can't wait to go to church. They can't wait to start applying some of those things to their life. But, but I mean, we're just pouring it into them right and left. But when they start getting to be 10, 11 years old, we want them to start taking those things off the shelf that we've given to them and learn how to apply it to the world that they live in. One of the ways that we can teach them how to do that is for us to ask questions rather than thinking we have to teach them more and more and more. At some point, I can only eat so much. A little girl made a comment to me a few weeks ago. She goes, I love hamburgers. I just don't like having them shoved down my throat. (laughs) You know, at some point, she needs to learn to say, okay, now it's time to eat. Now what do I do to get the same thing that mom and dad have been giving me? What's an example of the question you would ask? Yeah, uh, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Or it may be, what do you think would happen if, and you leave that open-ended, what would you do if you found yourself in my situation? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing to whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever you want to talk about? Is it comments. What do you think about tattoos? You know, and most kids think about tattoos. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like them. A lot of people hate them. And I go, but engaging in the relationship with a child, you get their perspective so that they'll come back to you and say, well, Dad, what do you think about tattoos? So these are open-ended questions. They're open-ended They, they don't questions. have to require a yes or no answer. That's right. That's right. You know, what do you think about the other kids in your school that treat other kids wrong? What, what did you feel like when somebody bullied you? Do you remember what it was like when somebody treated you badly? What do you remember about that? I think it's important to, 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 to almost stir up feelings and emotions in a child. You could be sitting around the dinner table and you can end the conversation at the dinner table and say, okay, here's the question I want you to think about for next week and have a bowl in the center of the table. And, and it can be just, you don't have to play a game. You can make a lifestyle of it. You know, and saying, 
when was one time that you were treated badly by somebody that you wish you can change? And let your child think on that all week long. Interesting, yeah. So that they're always going, okay, when was that? When was that? When was that? Then the next question that they that they maybe pull out the next week, when did you treat somebody badly that you wish you can go back <laughs> and change? And, and what that does is give the opportunity as they're sharing that around the dinner table, is that as you're listening to them, what you're going to hear is what you've taught them start to come out in their words. And it may not be the right words, and they may not get the right scripture. Not fully formed, but That's it's... That's right. But, yeah. it's, but it's workable. I mean, it's like wet concrete. You've yeah. got to... They will mold it, and it will start to stick and harden up on its own. You don't have to do anything. It's going to harden on its own. So allow that to happen. And then if they ask you a question, they may say, well, Dad... Do you remember a time that you treated somebody bad? And then you say, you know what? I do. And they learn from that, don't they? That's right. That's right. Well, let's uh, spend our last couple of minutes. Here's a question from a parent. My 11-year-old never, ever takes responsibility. I like that, never, ever. Takes responsibility (laughs) for her actions. What to do? How do we handle that? That's right. I mean, mom's probably frustrated or dad's frustrated in this. And I tell you, it's a very simple uh, answer to it. Your consequences aren't big enough. I mean, at some point, what you say is, you know, that I'm going to take away something more. Got to feel the pain. And parents go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't take that away. And I go, then you're hindering your child. You are the reason your child's not moving on. You know, when we talk about taking a child and saying, okay, let's move them to independence. It's helping them learn consequences for inappropriate behavior so that they take what we've taught them and begin to apply it in a new way. So they reevaluate some of their actions. That's the goal. And so when a child's not reevaluating it, it means that I don't have their attention and I've got to do whatever I have to to get their attention so that they begin to understand, wait a minute, I need to think this thing through with independent thought without mom and dad always there. I need to think some things through so that I can get to a good place. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, visit parentingtodaysteens.org. And to learn more about Heartlight, visit heartlightministries.org. If this podcast has been helpful to your family, please share it or give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can listen to Parenting Today's Teens wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.